Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by the Success League, a consulting and training firm focused on driving revenue through customer success. This podcast is also brought to you by Strike Deck, a Medallia company. Strike Deck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. My name is Kristen Hare, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. And today I'll be talking with Jim Callback, the chief evangelist for Mural and formerly the head of customer experience there. Jim has also written a number of great books, most recently the Jobs to be Done playbook, which has some great ideas on ways to optimize the customer experience. Jim has been on the podcast before, and I'm excited that he's joining us again today to talk about his latest book. So Jim, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me again, Kristen. Great to be here. Hey, I know you're a fancy chief evangelist (laughs) now, but before you were... Before that, you were running customer success for Mural. So how did you land in our field? In yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a great question. I actually have a background in design and innovation, and I've worked in a lot of product design teams before I came to Mural. In fact, I was a customer of Mural, and I think that was part oh, of the, okay. the attraction um, of Mural to me is that I come from our market, more or less, right? Um, so customer success was new to me Um in practice um, about six years ago when I um, was employee number 12 and started up the customer success function here at Mural uh, and was basically the team as well as the leader of the team, you know, a team of one kind of thing back then. And then we've grown, as you know, we've grown uh, considerably um, since then. Um, So I just kind of uh, worked my way, you know, learning by doing uh, in, in customer success. Got it. So here's your big chance, Jim. Can you evangelize Mural to all of us heathens? (laughs) Sure. I mean, I think particularly in the pandemic times of the remote uh, work from work from home world, um, you know, meetings that um, are not engaging uh, teams, remote teams that are not aligned, um, you know, uh, lack of of diverse perspectives, lack of creativity, um, you know, particularly with a remote team. That Mural, as a as a digital whiteboard, it's a visual collaboration tool that allows you to do uh, online what you might have done on a whiteboard or a flip chart offline, right? So uh-huh. you get that visual and that creative piece back into your meetings, which totally changes the ball game. That you right. can have visual conversations, you can think about your ideas in a collaborative way, and you can get more aligned. Ultimately, you know, teams are more aligned; they have creative momentum. Um, and it's, it's, it's a much more, no, I don't want to say efficient. It's a much more satisfying and robust experience. Yeah. I mean, I think all of us are at this point, a little sick of just zoom meetings. So this adds a really exciting design dimension to that. I think. Exactly. And we like to say that, uh, mural is a missing link, right? Cause yeah. zoom is great and Slack is great. And, you know, Asana is great. And we use all those tools here at Mural. But when you add Mural to it, it adds a completely different dimension to your collaboration. Suddenly people open up. You hear from the back of the room, quote unquote. Um, You're able to get further faster because you don't have misunderstandings and you're not waiting to hear uh, other people's opinions or, or worse, holding back your own opinion because you don't know when to pipe into that Zoom call. Um, that you know, w- When you add Mural to the mix, uh, it just really changes the game in terms of remote collaboration. 
That's awesome. So we're here to talk about your new book, which is called The Jobs to Be Done Playbook. And I'll admit, until I talked to you as we were prepping for this interview, I really wasn't that familiar with the Jobs to Be Done framework. Can you give our audience an overview of the theory behind your book? Sure. Um, And Jobs to Be Done is a theory. It comes actually from the business community uh, Uh several decades ago. People like Clayton Christensen talking about uh, disruption in business and what causes it. It turns that turns out under underneath the you know some of the most important business theories of our time like market disruption is this notion of of human behavior and hu- the human dynamic, um, and and job speed on is really a theory around understanding the human dynamic that drives market behavior, um, and what it. What it is, it's a language. I see jobs to be done as, as, a, as a filter, as a language for observing the people that you serve, but not through the lens of your own brand or your own solution or your own product. We tend to talk about problem solving for our customers, but in relation to our solution or our tool. And what jobs to be done does, quite explicitly, by the way, is mm-hmm. it expunges any reference to technology, any <laughs> reference to products, including your own product. In other words, you're talking about the goals, the objectives, and the outcomes that people want as human beings, as individuals, without overlaying your own, you know, the brand, your own brand perspective on top of it. And then you can then compare your solution to that. So it's really a lens. It's a way to see your market um, as they see themselves, uh, which are, you know, individuals acting on a daily basis to get things done in their lives. Yeah, I love that because I, I do think one thing that we tend to do in our field is really buy into our own marketing rhetoric a little too much and think too much about our product and not think about the fact that we do have all these individuals who are serving out there who are all different and have different needs and wants and um, outcomes that they're looking for. So that's I, I think that's a common problem in customer success. So in light of that, how do you see jobs to be done fitting into customer success at a high level? I mean, ultimately, jobs to be done is about success. It's about Mm -hmm. what what the theory says is that people will be attracted to products and services that fundamentally help them get their job done and reach their outcomes. If we can understand that in and of itself, we as service providers will be better off and we'll be able to match the solution better. We'll be able to match our language to what they're actually trying to do. And I think you're absolutely right, you know, in customer success. And I've seen, I've done it myself too. Yeah. So, you know, I'm guilty, you know, of, Me of, too. <laughs> of, you know, of saying things like, yeah, my customer's goal is to increase usage. And it's like, no, that's not your customer's goal. They're trying to get whatever project they have done or reach whatever business goal they have, right? Your tool is the means to the ends, not the ends, right? So right. We, we tend to have that. what I've seen is kind of a mix. Of course, you will focus on those goals. And I've seen customer success managers do that as well, too. If you're in, you know, marketing automation software, let's just say you're in that field, you want to understand what it is to be a marketer running a marketing campaign. And you want to focus on that job of of running a marketing campaign. And you, as a customer success manager, may know really well what it's like to run a marketing campaign. But, But then you also mix in this layer of your own solution around that discussion, right? Oh, well, you can do your marketing campaign in our tool like this. Right. Mm-hmm. What Jobs to Be Done does is it's, it, it very carefully, intentionally separates the equation into two buckets. And the one is, what are people trying to get done independent of not only your technology, but any technology? And let's understand that. 
And then the other bucket is, okay, how do they come to your product and how do they use their product to do that? So by separating the equation, you don't, you don't have this kind of muddled ground between um, solving for individuals goals versus, uh, you know, increasing usage or, or adoption of your product. Yeah. So chapter six in your book gets into four very specific jobs to be done plays for customer success, specifically how to create a journey map, how to make customers successful during onboarding, how to reduce churn, and how to provide better customer support. So I'm going to ask you about some of these, but let's start with the journey map. Can you tell me more about how jobs to be done ties in with the process of mapping a customer's journey? Sure. Uh, I just want to back up really briefly for one second. Oh, yeah, of course. No, no, that's okay. In the book, I see the way I approach jobs to be done is I see it as kind of a as, as a lens, as a substrate that runs throughout your business from innovation and product development, uh, business, uh, even to and then into your go to market motions as well, too. Yeah. And I've heard of, you know, sales teams using it. So then, like you said, chapter six, I am kind of focused on a more go to market motion and how this uh, what I call jobs thinking can be applied there. Um, and the other the other thing, um, and I, I just mentioned it too, is that you kind of have these two kind of views of the world. The first is let's understand what the individual is trying to get done, and you can create what's called a job map for that. So if it is run a marketing campaign, let's just say that's the job that you support, you want to understand how people run marketing campaigns independent of your product, and you can create a job map around that. Now, what a customer journey map is, though, it's it's more on the solution side of things. That's when you're looking at, so how do people come to me? Because many of our, for many of our customers, that's their job to be done is to acquire and maintain and, and administer and support tools inside of their companies, right? right. You think of like an IT team or procurement team, right? That buying software is their job to be done. And that's what a customer journey map would, would then uh, detail out is if that you do have a, that buyer or that, that person whose job it is, is to, uh, to, to buy tools and, and software in our case, right? Um, then how, how would you map that out? And we're all familiar with what a customer journey map is, I believe. So, so, th- so that's, not, that, that's not really a new technique. Uh, in the book, though, I relativize journey maps in this, in this broader context of jobs to be done. That's why I wanted to talk about the broader context first. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and you have another book, Mapping Experiences, yeah. that gets into journey mapping in great depth. So yeah. just if there's anyone out there that is not familiar with that, there first of all, there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. And also Jim's book is a great resource for that. And I just brought out the <laughs> second edition of that in December. So oh, second woo-hoo. edition, Mapping Experiences. Yeah. Uh, the, the print version is a little delayed right now. So if you go on Amazon.com, you'll see the Kindle version and the print version is coming out. Actually, in a couple of weeks, I think it'll be available again, uh, Kristen. But, um, and I okay. do recommend the print, but as much as I love Kindle versions of things, the experience with the print book is much better because you get those big diagrams. There's lots of maps in, in the book. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like hands down, do yourself a favor, get the print edition of that because they're is a new diagram or graph every other page and you will want those. So the Kindle edition is just not going to cut it. (laughs) (laughs) If you, you know, not to be a salesperson for your book or anything, (laughs) but um, I actually really love that book. Um, So, you know, the second thing you talk about in that chapter six is, is getting people going off on the right foot during onboarding. Can you talk about that a little bit more? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to those two fundamental perspectives. The, the jobs perspective, which is what is the individual trying to get done independent of my view? And you can look at uh, versus what are they trying to do with my product, right? And the jobs to be done techniques sort uh, separate those two views that you first want to understand what an individual is trying to do, um, you know, with or without your technologies. What are they trying to get done? Um, and then, and then you want to see how they come to your product. That's what a customer journey map does. But you mm -hmm. can take that that same framing uh, and think about onboarding as well too. And then ask yourself um, uh, along those two dimensions: what is the current state of knowledge that people have? And what you end up with is kind of a two by two matrix. Uh, you might have people that know um, how to get the job done really well. They might be super experts. Let's go back to, you know, um, uh, so, uh, marketing uh, automation software, right? Uh, people, uh, there might be experts in running marketing campaigns and they know how to do that really, really, really well. But then there's also a level of familiarity with your software. So if you had a two, two by two matrix of, you know, uh, novice versus expert on the job side, versus novice versus expert with your, um, with your software, you would have then a typology of new user types. That mm -hmm. is, there's people who are experts in your software and experts in getting the job done, but there's also people who are experts in getting the job done, but novices in your software, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and basically what that does is it, allow, it gives you a typology and then you can speak to those people in a different way. Uh, because what 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 one needs one what one quadrant of that two by two would need is is different than another one, right? right. Um, and, and the idea is that you through a simple survey you can just ask people um, outright either you know when they're coming into the product or uh, you know in some kind of onboarding context where you just ask them how well do you know how to get X done that's the job to be done and how well do you know our software or our tool and then you could you could type uh, get that typology there too and I think there's an advantage right uh, particularly for the quadrant where it's people who are, are not familiar with the job to be done um, and either familiar with your software or maybe not even familiar with your software as well, too, is that you can obviously teach them how to come into your product, but you could also be teaching them about their job to be done as well, too. And that's what's really going to make things sticky. Um, so by thinking about the worlds from those two dimensions, without your software and with your software, uh, knowledge of the job versus knowledge of your software, um, I, I, think, I think you can have a more robust view of onboarding. I love that. Before we continue with the rest of the interview, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. I want to let you all know about the upcoming customer success event of the year, the Strike Deck Spark Summit, hosted by Medallia Strike Deck on Thursday, March 4th from 7.30 a.m. until 3 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. Join us for a one-day conference dedicated to talking about the latest strategies, models, and innovations in the customer success space, along with some very cool giveaways. I'll be presenting in a breakout session with Bill Couchard from Helping Sales Radio, and we'll be talking about selling as a trusted advisor. This topic is near and dear to me, and I hope you'll join us. March 4th is also my birthday, so come and help me celebrate at the Spark Virtual Summit, brought to you by Strike Deck Medallia. We'll attach the sign-up link to the show notes, and I hope to see you there. So, Jim, this is the question that I'm sure is on every CS leader's mind. How do you use this framework to reduce churn? Right. Um, that's a great question. And I came I came across this technique uh, and I was uh, I was kind of I was kind of taken by it uh, because I think it's, it's quite clever. Um, and it's almost obvious. Right. When you hear it um, um, afterwards. 
there is an interviewing technique within in the jobs to be done uh, field called the the switch interviewing technique, and it's basically reverse engineering um, a decision. Uh, for instance, a, a purchase decision or a decision to you know start using your software, right? Mm-hmm. And the way the the switch technique works is that you you go back from that moment in time and you really start to look at what was behind the motivation to 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 make that decision. And then what was behind that and what was behind that? So you really dive deep into the underlying motivations, which might not even be something that somebody articulated uh, before, even to themselves, like they might not even realize it. But there's this interview technique called uh, the switch technique that then ultimately, and from the jobs to be done perspective, ultimately what you're going to uncover by reverse engineering their decision is you're going to uncover the job to be done, right? So you start with a solution and you work back towards the problem that people were trying to be solved. Okay. Now this, this technique on churn though uses that same thing, but um, from a, the, the, instead of a purchase decision, it's a cancel decision. So um, very often when people cancel, we'll ask them, what were you thinking about? And they're going to give you the, the last, the last step before they churned, they're going to tell you the last decision or the state of mind that they had. But what you want to go is deeper and try to find what was the very, very beginning of their kind of raising their eyebrow. Uh, And again, they might not have even recognized that this was part of their decision-making, but that led to the churn decision, right? What was, Mm. what were the precursors to that churn decision? And very often that's way, way, way upstream and time-wise it's, it's it's much before that actual churn decision. So we're getting very often we get churn data based on the churn moment, but the decision to churn was actually rooted much, much, much further upstream. So using this reverse chronological kind of interviewing technique, and it isn't an interviewing technique. So to use it, you'd have to get people who recently churned and then dig down deep and find out what that motivation was. And if you do that enough times, you might start finding patterns in your software. At a certain point yeah. in time, the feature sets failed, or at a certain point in time, you know, people weren't enabled the right way. And then that can help you target your customer success campaigns at a point in time and also at a state in mo- a state of mind. I really love that. Because it could have been it could have been three months ago and somebody was trying to run a report and they couldn't get it and it embarrassed them enough in a leadership meeting that that was the moment where they just said, I'm not renewing when renewal time comes up. And, you know, at renewal time, it could be, you know, oh, we don't have the budget. Right, price, right. And, and, that's, <laughs> and that's what your churn data says. Oh, they churned because of price. But no, yeah. it was actually that report that, that, was, the, that was key, mm-hmm. which might be like a, a, a secondary or tertiary feature inside of your product. Right. right. And you're, not, you're not prioritizing or as a, as a CSM, you're not highlighting that. You're not enabling that reporting enough. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's just product features because it's not. Obviously, from the customer success side, we want to look at how our enablement matches those patterns of, of usage and those states of mind. Mm-hmm. I love that. So if you want to learn about how to provide better support, which was the fourth thing in this chapter, you're going to have to go read the book. Um, Because I want to ask you, Jim, about a section in the back of the book. It starts on page 238, and it talks about how to make customers successful over time. And this seems kind of like a mixture of different plays that are in the book. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, so I called the book the Jobs to be Done Playbook because um, the field of jobs to be done has been around for several decades. Uh, and I, I, I first got interested in the field in about 2003. And I noticed all of these you know, consultants and practitioners doing all these really cool things, but it wasn't kind of tied together because they all 
they all kind of had their own methodology that they were protecting with trademarks and, you know, selling yeah. their consultants and things. And what I really wanted to do is bring back uh, to bring together um, all of these different techniques that others had invented. In fact, if you read the book, there's almost nothing that I contribute that's new. I'm, I'm really acknowledging all the great work that other people have done with all of these plays. I call them, in, you know, these individual techniques, I call them all plays. Uh -huh. um, um, so you and you can understand a play in and of itself, like the churn reduction play. That's a play yeah. that we talk about. But you can also think about now how does that how does that string together with other things that we're doing, and maybe not just in customer success. Like how does that tie into marketing and sales or product? And think about what I call a recipe, which is mm -hmm. taking a couple of plays and stringing them together um, into into kind of a method, uh, more yeah. of an ad, ad hoc method. And that might blend with some of your own methodology as well, too, which I'm totally up for, you know, remixing and, and blending. Um, I, I think, I think, you know, we, we can, we can be doing that. I'm not a, I'm not a purist saying, you know, it's my way or the highway in terms <laughs> of jobs to be done. So that's yeah. really what I, you know, the, the point in the book that you're pointing to, I really want kind of want to encourage people to, to, to think about a mixture of plays that's going to be relevant to you. Cause that's, that's one thing that I found as a designer, as a customer success uh, leader as well too is that I, I, uh, I almost never ran the same plays that you know another team would do or that I would read in a book uh, or you know or that you would say Kristen you know coming in and consulting us uh, you know you tell us to run it this way but then you actually do it your own way right because you have your right. own flavors you have your own culture you have your own customers and your own product as well too so uh, basically what I was encouraging people to do is kind of own jobs to be done and the plays and put them together into your own recipe. Yeah, I love that. It's it's nice because you're absolutely right. Every single company is different. Their customers are different. Their team is different. And it has to just work. Right. It doesn't have to be one specific methodology. And so I like that this is really modular. Right. It, it makes it easy. Um, so how would you recommend that a reader who is a CS professional approach your book? Sure. Um, so, so the book is kind of a collection. It's not a it's not a novel to be read from beginning to end. Um, <laughs> there, there really isn't that storyline. Right. Because it is uh, kind of a collection of, of different techniques. And it, it does. It is a little choppy, uh, but admitted, you know, uh, intentionally. So, yeah, right? you kind of go from one play to the next to the next. And you might be reading one and say, well, this isn't relevant to me. And then the other, next one is. And that's fine as well, too. So I think the introductory chapters are kind of key for setting the stage and, and getting some of the tone that I, that I hope came mm -hmm. out in this interview. Um, but then what I would recommend is um, kind of, uh, you know, skipping through it and finding those headers and, and you know, skimming through it and finding the, the plays that are most interesting to you and then dive into those, right? And one thing that I tried to do uh, is also provide more resources to read further. So if you want to know about the switch interviewing technique that I just mentioned as well, too, where can you learn more about it? I, I usually, in about two to four pages in the book, I cover each one of these techniques. So it's not super, super, super in-depth. There's a little bit of how-to there. But if you're mm -hmm. really interested in that, you know, go, go read more. And that's really what I'm encouraging you, you to do. So I see the book as a starting place, uh, as a hub of knowledge, first of all, but then a starting place. And if you want to do, if you want to learn more that you can go and use my book as a springboard into finding more resources. I love it. Um, this is more of an author question than a content question, but what are your favorite and least favorite parts of the book? <laughs> that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, if, if you, if you know, if you've ever heard like, uh, 
uh, like, you know, like rock bands or rock stars when they yeah. talk about their albums, you know, me- remember when they used to have albums with like side A and side B? I do. B? Yeah. yeah. And they're like, well, we got to fill up side B you yep. know, with something is that, yeah, there's a little bit of that as well too. Uh, and I don't want to say any, anything's weaker or stronger, um, but there, there are parts of the book. Um, let me, let me think about how to answer this question. There, there are parts of the book that um, there are parts of the book where I have a ton of experience yeah. with, with that technique. Like I've used it over and over and over and over and over again, and I know exactly how to do it. And then there are other ones that I was attracted to, um, but have less experience myself doing those. I hope that doesn't come out in the book. And like I said, my goal was to actually point to all those other practitioners who kind of invented yeah. things. But yeah, there are, par- there are parts of the book, like the corporate, there's one, on, there's a play on corporate strategy. Which I understand, and I could, I could, I could kind of drive probably in a practice mode. But if I were in front of some CEOs trying to help them guide their corporate strategy, I would be, I'd be on risky, you know, thin ice. Yeah. (laughs) So I think for me, there's, there's a a kind of a level of depth of certainty that I have around uh, all of the techniques in the book. Uh, so the, the my least favorite parts are probably the ones where I have uh, the the least experience, the least practical experience. Got it. That makes sense. Um, last question for you. What do you see as the biggest trend in customer success today and why? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, the biggest trend in customer success. I mean, I hope, I hope, and you know, we were, we were at that, that conference there in, in Utah together, Kristen, and I know mm-hmm. uh, that, um, uh, you know, they're talking about customer experience, uh, employee experience as well too. Um, so yeah. I, think, I, I think, you know, and I hope that jobs to be done also, um, uh, and people, you know, folks listening to this this interview here gets folks interested in jobs to be done because I think you know becoming truly customer focused. I think I hope that that trend continues, um, and I hope that jobs to be done can actually help that as as well too, as opposed to being account focused or sales focused, right? Because right. as you know, you know, customer success can have lots of different interpretations and flavors inside of organizations, and sometimes it's almost more account management than anything. Um, and I think if we really embrace the the customer success uh, and both of those terms, the customer and success from from the customer's perspective, what makes them successful? It's not right. using your product more; it's getting their job done. And and I, I hope I I don't know, from 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 what I've seen, I kind of feel like that's happening in the field, and I and I kind of hope that that's happening as well too. Maybe I'm biased because um, that's kind of my my view on things. Uh, but, you know, when I see Carrie Bodine, for instance, she was at that conference talking about customer experience and customer journey mapping, um, mm-hmm. that the field continues to go in that direction. Yeah, I think I think it does. I mean, I don't think it means that you can't sell anything. I right. think it just means that if you do sell something, it needs to be aligned with the customer's needs, totally. <laughs> which totally. is sort of how we should all be doing this anyway. Totally. So that's, it's a good it's a good direction for the field to be going in. Um, thank you so much, Jim, for joining us on the podcast today to talk about customer success and how your new book ties into our field. Um, just as an aside, I have a separate podcast called Reading for Success, and our next book that we're going to do a deep dive on for the next month is Jobs to be Done Playbook. So if you're curious about this book and you want to go deeper on it, um, join me for the next four episodes of that podcast, and hopefully, Jim, we can get you on that one too. Um, but uh, I want to. I, I want to let you know that I really appreciate you taking the time today to share your ideas with this audience. And I would really encourage everybody to go and get this book. I think it's great. Well, thanks again for having me. And, you know, I, th- I think there is, 
there is a great alignment that, you know, again, like I said, if we embrace the, you know, particularly the word success and what other success metrics and measures that, that our customers have from their standpoint, that's really what jobs to be done is all about. Uh, and, and I hope people can be inspired and even find some, you know, practical tips in the book. Great. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere else you get your podcasts. And finally, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.